Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 42 of the Forever Strength Podcast. I'm Andrew Coates, I've got Bailey Lau with me, and we're joined by a coach in the UK, our friend Rachel Henley, who has been, well, you you got experience as a coach, but you've also been having a lot of fun with your social media lately, so probably talk a little bit at least about the social media growth side of things. But uh, Bailey, I know you got some questions prepared, so why don't we jump right into it? Yeah. I mean, we always start with, how did you get into fitness? (laughs) How did I get into fitness? Uh Yeah. So mine's kind of probably one of those like classic tales of I was always into sport when I was younger. Um, So yeah, there we go. Hands up. (laughs) Yes. I was big into football, which is soccer for you guys, but yeah, I was big into soccer or football, whatever you want to call it for quite a few years, but I was like, growing up um I always played things like tennis very British for me as well um and just kind of I was always super super active um and then what kind of got me into coaching is like yeah so when I kind of like got to the age of like sports no longer being central of my life I then got into the gym again like classic story of like that kind of filled the void of when you weren't doing sports anymore um yeah got into some training I think I did very useless things for the first two three years like the classic jumping around my living room following whatever dvd I could find and yeah just never really seeing any changes and then um yeah got into the weights room scared me I was about to say a swear word, but I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, so I won't. <laughs> yeah, we can. So it's getting me shitless getting into the weights room to begin with. And then um, after like a couple of months of being in there, I just fell in love with it. And like, yeah, just the, like what it offered and what it gave for life was just, yeah, it was just amazing. Even though at that point I was training like a bit of a knob, like I think everyone does when they first start. So even at that point, I wasn't really knowing what I was doing, but I still fell in love with it, still really enjoyed it. Um, and then... And then, yeah, what kind of then transitioned that into coaching was actually a really bad injury. So I was still kind of playing football or soccer as like a, I kind of just like a hobby thing. And then I just turned a corner. Like, I'm not even going to say I did anything that spectacular. I literally just was running on some grass. I went to run in a different direction. And I actually, I ruptured my ACL um, quite aggressively. Um, and then that put me on like, so here in like England, um, it's all kind of like free healthcare and things, but it's like quite long waiting list. And it was in around the time of COVID and stuff. So it took me years to kind of like, kind of interfere with it. So it took me years to kind of get the surgery that I needed. And so in that time, I couldn't really train. So then I kind of started nerding out more on like the evidence-based side of things and, I, and that's when I realized like oh my god I've been doing quite a lot of stuff wrong that's quite embarrassing and um, but then when I went back into training after like the injury I started seeing so much more progress from like applying these evidence-based things and um yeah then it was after that point I was like oh, I really want to coach this and that's kind of what like led me into coaching so yeah I've been training for quite like what eight nine years now um been coaching for yeah just over three years now um but yeah it's that that's kind of I guess been my journey <laughs> there's something worth deconstructing too because I think everybody listening it probably at some point was doing something that they look at back at and think oh that was silly or any of the coaches going yeah maybe I was on the rack, wrong track early I'm very much of the mindset that if it's part of the process and it leads you eventually to get to a better approach to, to training nutrition or, or your own coaching or what have you, I, I still think it's worth it. Yes, I don't love the idea of people being misled. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that isn't good information or you know, people who spend a lot of money on what we'd say is fads or any other sort of bullshit. 
but I'm still I'm still good as long as someone gets there in the end and they figure it out. Yeah, no, I'm in agreement with that. I think sometimes as well when you do that stuff, when you find the right stuff, you go, oh, that's working <laughs> kind of thing of like, that's how it should feel like. I remember having those aha moments of like, I used, I think like what I used to do when I was like first in training, I tried to burn muscle and lose fat at the same time by training, weight training and jogging in between sets. I was like, that feels really hard. So it must be working. No surprise mm-hmm. within three weeks, I just like died. <laughs> and then like when I kind of then obviously found different approaches where it's a lot more in a way chilled out still difficult but chilled out in different ways I was like and saw that progress week on week like yeah there's something really good there and I know Bailey's got a lot of stuff prepped but this would be excellent to answer do you want to explain why it doesn't work to try to build muscle and to burn body fat at the same time, especially when women have goals of putting on muscle. I mean, classically, we know women on average tend to like to build booties. That's very you know big right now. But they, why doesn't that approach work? And what's what would be a better way to do it? Is that question back to me or to Bailey? Oh, no, you for sure. Oh, me for sure. Me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess like... I could break that into two contexts. So there's context of what I was mentioning there of like, I guess the the singular workout where like, because that was a program that promised to build muscle and burn fat at the same time using like the approach of like weight training and cardio thrown into this big mix, which I think sometimes as well, certain like circuit or hip workouts, I think sometimes they promise that kind of thing. So in terms of like looking at the individual workout and how that's not really effective for those things is it's because we're just looking at like building muscle and losing fat they're two very different processes in terms of building muscle that comes down to like putting stress through muscle and progressing that over time so progressively overloading like like resistance training over time and like the workouts that are going to be most effective for that are ones that are going to help you put the most output and have the best recovery for that kind of that part of training so for example i was like trying to lift weights and then run in the middle what all that was doing was making my lifting really, really tiresome <laughs> and like my output for lifting. It just like, it completely wrecked that within like the second or third step. And so although I was getting sweaty and tired and I felt like I was having a good workout in terms of the context of building muscle, I was compromising that massively by yeah, not giving myself the space to recover in between sets that would increase my out- output. And yeah, that that's just something that is just not going to be productive towards that goal. And in terms of did that burn more fat because it was hard to maybe, maybe but it made me tired and it was just a brutal workout but the only way that you are going to lose body fat is by overall being in a calorie deficit and that small training part of there is like how many more calories would I have burned maybe maybe actually probably a bit more because I was doing that but like not as much as I probably believed and definitely at that point I would have gone home and just eaten not understanding what calories were <laughs> and like I wouldn't have been doing any form of like activity outside of that like because I was so dead after doing that workout like in terms of would that have put me in a condition to kind of burn fat like no probably not um and then I think then the other context of like having 
the goal of both building muscle and burning fat at the same time like yeah that, that does run into issues with that especially if you're someone that's been training for a while or if you're someone like quite often people I know that come with that goal they could be relatively lean already and they're trying to kind of like do both at the same time it's like when you're looking to grow muscle like the place that's going to put you in the optimal place to do that is in a place where you're not in a deficit where you're at least at maintenance if not like a slight surplus of energy um to kind of fuel and recover from those sessions Um, that's not for everyone so if you're like a newbie like yeah you can maybe validly have both of those goals at the same time but um yeah quite often if you're trying to do both at the same time you're kind of not really kind of getting anywhere but I see that people like juggle between the two um and you're just kind of like yeah spinning your wheels a bit so um yeah usually it's much more beneficial to go okay I'm going to go for muscle gain and like optimize that as much as I can and then at certain points if you want to reduce body fat going through phases where you're kind of doing that but um yeah to constantly always going for burning muscle losing fat at the same time you just kind of like I've, I see people spin their wheels for months and months and months trying to chase both things. And it's worth throwing yeah. in, sorry, Bailey, <laughs> Wilson. Yeah, I think there are three situations under which you can build muscle and burn fat, but there are three very specific situations. One is, let's say, a beginner, like someone who's really brand new to it, who's got a reasonable amount of body fat and not a lot of muscle, and their nutrition more or less just by sheer fluke is kind of at maintenance. Those people are going to probably be able to do both for a certain amount of time. Once you build a little bit of muscle, lose a bit of fat, it doesn't work really well to do both simultaneously too. You got someone who has an ex- a lot of body fat to lose. And then they're also fairly new. So that person can also fairly effectively build muscle, lose fat for a while. And then the third situation is someone who's loaded up on you know steroids, in which case the rules are a little different. But that's not tr- that's not really most people, especially once they've been working out for a little while. So you know, I, I think it's trying to chase two cats at the same time. You're not going to be very successful going to get either. So what do you got for yeah, us? Yeah, that's kind of that coin though is <clears throat> um, sometimes people are if it's not aesthetic fat loss muscle gain it could still be concurrent training where you want to be fast you want to have good endurance um, but you also want to be strong um, and Andrew and I did a podcast on concurrent training earlier but do you have any thoughts on that um so I think yeah it depends on the the extremities of those things of like if for example you're looking to build as much muscle as possible and run marathons and Ironmans <laughs> like I think there's an element of being realistic of like again chasing two cats at the same time I, think I quite like that as a as a phrase um but I think definitely there's the other side of that of like just talking I guess with the kind of populations I work with that usually are people that are relatively new to train that have a very like low level of kind of initial fitness or like a, like a relatively low base and sometimes like a lot of them actually really enjoy like yeah endurance training and just kind of like being able to have the freedom of just being able to go for a run and things and I think like kind of goals of like being able to run like a 5k maybe even a 10k working within that like and just like like having that as part of your training program can be really really cool um because one a lot of people really enjoy that and the progression you see that but also having like a base like I know this anecdotally from myself I'm someone that doesn't do concurrent training I'm very bad at not doing stuff like cardio and stuff and I can feel myself blowing out at the end of like a set of squats and being like this isn't ideal maybe I should have a little bit more of like some work towards endurance and things but like yeah I think it depends on like the extremities of where people are taking those goals and then yeah with that being realistic with it and so yeah um yeah I think it's a a bit of a it depends question yeah 
Yeah, fair. And I, I, I mean, when I think concurrent training, obviously general population does it too, but I also think of mainly athletes because there's very few sports, powerlifting, one of them, marathon running the other side, where you only need to be good at one of those things. Um, but a little bit more into the strength training, um, that's what you do for the most part with your clients, right? Yeah, so mine aren't, I, I don't really work with athletes. I work with people that are just generally trying to get fitter and healthier. And so mm-hmm. I, I change their body composition to feel like a bit more confident. And so with that, it's usually a bit of a balance of both in terms of like, yeah, mostly like most of them have never tried strength training before. So that's where I turn to help them um, because that's where it's like, oh my God, what do I do here? Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, with, with most of my clients, they do have a bit of just like general endurance and general healthy like habits and things um so like yeah so we do sometimes like a lot of my clients still have wanting to get their first 5k and that kind of stuff in there so um yeah we do kind of look at both of those things yeah and so with the strength training um why did you go down that route when you decided to look into it um in terms of science-based why did strength training pop out to you in regards to me doing it for myself or for like working it with clients yeah um so yeah I think there's there's quite a few reasons like yeah um, obviously I've got a strong bias towards supporting strength training so you can take that with a pinch of salt but no okay um yeah no I in terms of why I guess I started strength training is one I just really enjoyed the process of seeing myself get stronger week and week I, I really enjoyed the progressions that you see with that like I found with so I used to actually come from like running and things like when I was into sport that's like how I was going exercise and it was that it was cool but like you'll see yourself get faster and be able to run longer but those are kind of like the only two progressions that you would see and then like getting into the gym and having this wild variety of like getting first push up pull up seeing yourself get stronger each week it's like that I became very addicted to in terms of like just in terms of the process thing that like more of like as an internal focus I really really enjoyed that um but then like in terms of like the stuff like outside of that just like general like health I think as well like life is so much easier when you're strong and you don't think about picking up shopping bags and, like that, that kind of thing like I definitely noticed like those changes like just in quality of life and um and obviously that like with like the evidence kind of supports that as well that like, is something that most people should be doing of like preserving and, and or, or adding muscle mass to kind of yeah increase longevity of quality of life so I think like yeah that definitely was something that was important to me as well um and yeah and then I won't lie being able to like flex a bicep now and then after a few years of training that became fun too like I wouldn't say it's like the big I think um a lot of people actually have the opposite kind of um kind of uh I guess relationship with strength training they first get into it to grow the peach or to get like oh <laughs> and then again actually that's not what it was I, I felt like I was the opposite of like I really did it because like I find for like my mental health exercise something is very very crucial to that so that's what got me started and then I started seeing physical changes like oh this is fun <laughs> so like yeah I think there's like yeah quite a few like those those I guess those are the, like, the main three of like what I enjoyed it's just like yeah the mental like part of that of seeing the progression and seeing yourself improve um, and then like it's just general health outcomes and then um yeah and then obviously like yeah just seeing like those physical changes and like um yeah the the like the aesthetic changes with that um and then I think like yeah with that and just like the amount of joy that I got from it and the improvements of life that I saw with it like it is just something that I guess 
I saw a lot of people struggle with that were trying to get into the gym um so when talk about from the coaching perspective because like I started off as like a face-to-face coach for for a while and like most of the people that I coach they'll be the people that were you saw them on the treadmills looking at the weight section and they'll go home every time and they would leave after a couple months you'll see them a couple months later and they'll just not be like being consistent and so to be able to then like so a few of those people that I would then go on to coach and see them widen that horizon the confidence they gain from doing hard things of going in the weight section and sit, again seeing themselves improve seeing those changes happen and yeah going into the scary weights bit where they told themselves I'd never go and seeing that change of mindset when that happens like I think it just has such a like awesome impact on people um and so that's what I kind of so like a lot of my content's kind of geared towards that of like trying to make the gym a bit more like fun or funny and that's definitely what I've got feedback from from people that have like signed up to me since kind of putting out that kind of social media is like it's just nice to have someone that's a girl that goes in that weight room and just like has fun with it and it's not that serious it's not that deep and some people have then started to go off and train since that and I think that's just really really cool because like yeah as I said I think the benefits for getting in the weight section is just there's not really any reason not to um and that's I guess what what is the motivation for me to kind of do the kind of content that I do and work with the kind of people that I do it's worth actually asking a little bit because you've we're talking off air you've seen really good growth on social media you know your TikTok's really exploded your Instagram has grown and I think a lot of coaches are afraid to put themselves out there they're afraid that well, there's nothing new to be said. They're afraid that they don't have enough experience or they haven't did they don't have enough education, a lot of imposter syndrome. What would you say to kind of counter that based on your experience? Um avoiding imposter syndrome well that's ironic because I still have it, but you put it out anyway. (laughs) Like like I think it's it's I think for me I'm I'm quite open to being wrong. Um like it is something that I know I've still got areas to learn and that's fine and it's just being I guess critical of who you take on like I do get trolls from people like I think they're unavoidable when you put stuff out there like I for the amount of content put out I was surprised by how little trolls I got most people are actually like like yeah like I would say it's one percent of the comments um like for example so a pretty good example is a recent video I did on TikTok I think it got like one and a half million views or something around that um which is like TikTok has the the ability it just seems to like to do that um but like obviously those people don't follow me so they're people that are getting a snapshot of like my whole deal of like who I've been posting for three years obviously the people that I've known that know me quite well but a lot of those people just like completely fresh and new to it and I'd say out of those people there was like one percent of trolls and I was like that's pretty good going and people that don't know me (laughs) like like there's one percent and like when you looked at that one percent like how many of those were actually people that knew what they were talking about or like coaches that I would respect or who are doing the same thing it's like most of those people are people that might have read an article once it goes all that disagrees with like this one thing that I read like a few years ago I disagree your shit because of it <laughs> and it's like so for me I kind of always take perspective it's like well are these people new really so for example if Andrew called me out or said something I'm not sure that's quite right like I think you've got to be open to listening to people that are like uh of like someone that like that are that are, I guess are in the same arena and like a look and you know they're coming from a place of like you know maybe you should have like said something a bit different or like I'm not sure about that and having that discussion around that but I'd say most of the comments you'll be getting that are trolls are people that are like you don't even see their username or their face or who they are and I think um so when you kind of like take that out it's like okay so how can who how many people can actually help 
like on the other flip side. So for example, that I, I do focus sometimes on that 1% negative comments, but the other 99% are actually people saying, oh, you've got me into the gym for the first time. And it's like, okay, so yeah, is it worth like embracing mm-hmm. the troll? Get that, like probably, <laughs> yeah. So what you just said there, and this is embedded within it, right? This is a paraphrase. If you are so fearful of not sharing something for for what the trolls, the people who are not your supporters, are not your friends, are really not your followers. And if you're more worried about what they have to say, then all of the good that it could do for the people who are there going, hey, you know, like I'm looking forward to your post every day. This is great stuff. Then you're doing a complete disservice to the people who want and need your help. And you seem to have a really good attitude about dealing with those people. Something else that was embedded there too. I think a lot of people are afraid that, quote, industry leaders or authorities will look at something that you've said and criticize it for being one degree off of being scientifically perfect based on what the studies read. While, yes, there are individuals in the grander industry that behave in that fashion, um, one, they're still the minority compared to everybody else. And two, those people usually still aren't following you. And most creators, uh, unless you start growing a fairly big platform, but even then they're not worth worrying about. They tend to target other big authorities in the industry and infight amongst each other. And as far as, you know, what I would consider to be the evidence-based, you know, leaders of the industry, I would say to everybody, because there's coaches listening too, but, or anybody who wants to share their fitness stuff they aren't following you. And that's not a negative thing. They're just, they're busy with their own careers. They're busy with, you know, the connections to the people closest in their world, time on family, time on businesses. And there's a very strong correlation between, you know, the the industry leaders traditionally and their, their success and accomplishment and how much time that they spend scrolling social media randomly. So they're really not looking for you. And then the people that they are going to be more critical of, are usually the complete nutcases and charlatans who are just sharing truly ridiculous stuff. And then they'll fight about that. So I really encourage people, you really have nothing to worry about. Yeah, Yeah. no, I agree. (laughs) Okay, so if we bring it back around to strength training. um, So why explain to the the podcast listeners um, why intensity around strength training is important? Um. Yeah, so I think there's like two sides of like maybe looking at like intensity of what's important. Is one is like one you're training hard enough, but two you're not training too hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, um, like, yeah, which I know sounds like very like okay, cool, great for that, thanks for that, really wonderful insight. But no, I think um, because like yeah, so when we're thinking about especially like so quite often when I'm working with with clients it's kind of talking about in in context of hypertrophy so um like yeah so with that what we're trying to achieve is to getting you to a point where essentially you're stimulating that muscle enough that it's got something to respond to like so with that I think like in terms of training hard enough a really common mistake I see is like like when you're first starting out like that that's fine but after a few months it's like you'll have a program that says three sets of 10 reps four sets of 10 reps and you go in and you just kind of do the reps and you kind of go cool that's cool and then you go on to like the next exercise and it's like those last few reps aren't even getting to a point where you're really struggling or maybe you start to struggle oh okay that's enough I'm gonna kind of leave it and then like and it's like what what we tend to see is like when 
we're like trying to gauge have I kind of pushed in that step like most people aren't fantastic at like I, I like kind of knowing where their capacity is or like where like their limit is and so they can stop very very shy of that um and so like in terms of like training hard enough like ideally we want to be getting at least like within five reps of like not being able to perform that rep to a decent quality so getting to that point of like of that failure point um probably cl- a little bit closer to that if you consider like people are too great at like gauging how close they can kind of get to that failure point so like yeah I'd say like in terms of intensity we want to say we want to kind of get to that point where at least getting a couple reps away from like we can't be able to do any more reps um and like yes a lot of people can be quite like poor at gauging that and then like yeah on the flip side of training too hard potentially of like going all out every session and taking yourself close to death with every single set that you're doing um like with that it's like the limitations of that is that you're going to be racking up like a lot of fatigue that comes with that in terms of recovery between sessions if you can't walk between sessions and then you're going into like kind of train those sessions again it's like there can be like a knock-on impact of like be- being able to do less over the course of the week so you don't really want to be in that situation where like yeah you're completely like plummeting yourself just for like kind of like the sake of it um but like I think yeah it, it depends on context there because like so often when like I guess I guess I'm kind of like looking at this from the lens that like, the populations that I work with is like if they train to like that point of I say that kind of getting to that failure point a bit more frequently it's like they're still probably actually not getting quite to that failure point because they're like because they're, they're, they're kind of like um they're, they're, I guess their judgment of that is still like a little bit off um and so it's it can be quite good for them to practice that um so like in terms of like what they see in terms of like I guess the fatigue between sessions isn't quite like if, if it was like for example me where I know my failure point very well if I train to failure all the time like I would feel that I would struggle <laughs> but like with those people that I guess like, like I say that I'm working with um sometimes actually pushing that to failure a little bit more frequently um isn't too much as like I've seen as not much of an issue because actually they're still pretty training a couple reps away um so I think that was actually a really like long loop of that answer where I didn't really answer the question yeah. <laughs> Well, in fitness, the answer is it depends. It depends, yeah. And basically, yeah, that's what I could have said. I should have said, yeah, it depends. <laughs> Sometimes though, it's it's fun to work with beginners because you know that they don't know what tough really is. And you can see them going through their reps. Rep one is just as fast as rep 12, rep 10. And then, you know, a few months down the line, then it starts to click, which is really fun to watch. Andrew, sorry. I agree entirely. There's this... There's something that uh, Rachel said in there that I, I'd like to tease out and reiterate. It, you're right, absolutely, and I tend to take this bias towards trying to get within a rep or two of failure. Ideally, that seems to be a really good sweet spot that evidence supports that, yes, you're going to get effective muscle growth if you get there. I think there's a good argument. I don't think these things necessarily conflict. And you also said that most people don't know what true failure feels like, like Bailey alluded to, the beginner's. They, they just don't have a clue. They quit and like I, it's almost like a nasty analogy, but let's say there was a gun to their head, not literally, but if there was, you got to be careful about saying these kind of things now. It's almost ridiculous. But if there was, <laughs> guess what? That person could probably put, you know, crank out five, six more good reps, right? A little bit of adrenaline. So were we really close enough to failure? Hmm, maybe, maybe close, maybe not. So I actually have kind of shifted my mindset a little bit. I find with, people who aren't necessarily as experienced, it generally is pretty good to actually push them closer to what true failure for them feels like because it helps them build that stamina and it gives them, as Bailey alluded to, 
a, a bit more of a sense of what failure actually feels like. So I think as long as you're within that general ballpark, I think you're really good. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> another issue, I guess, that comes in is that they might be getting close to failure. They might not be. But, um, what do you think about tracking things like reps in reserve and um, RPE? Yeah, so I do um, encourage um, like yeah, my clients and like myself to to track that. Um, yeah, for well, for a couple of reasons. One, because like it gets them in the headspace of trying to like understand those reps in reserve. And even if they don't understand it to begin with, it can start like like I say to get to the point where it clicks. You kind of have to keep on thinking about it and keep on practicing it. And so having that point where you're tracking it, like yeah, it, it's definitely helpful. And then in terms of things of like. Like looking at progressive overload as well so we're looking to increase the work each each week it's like it can be really useful to use that in conjunction of that to see um like for example are we using the same weight in that rp's falling down or are we increasing that weight and the rp's coming up are we like out, like what, what's kind of going on there it just gives us that deeper insight especially like when working with people online and things like well actually is in face to face as well but like it, it definitely I think it just gives us that better idea of like okay so what's actually going on here do we feel like we're training hard enough and then if we see this is so so often I'll see it people have vlogged this was two reps in reserve again similar to you watch it back it's like yeah it's the same like, <laughs> two reps in reserve is still the same speed as the first rep it's like that's not two reps in reserve so having that tracked and being able to go through those things it's just really really helpful and then yeah in terms of your own training or like them looking at it like they know that when they're like when they're tracking that, they they obviously have that better idea of like how hard that set was. Was that kind of getting to where I want it to be? When we're looking at that progression over the course of like a training phase, what has kind of like, yeah, have we have we kind of been sensible when we seeing those things go where we want to? Like, yeah, I think it's a really um positive thing to track. And it's not too hard to track. It's like an extra second just to put that number down. <laughs> yeah, write it down. Easy make it easier for next week when you go to see if you need to add weight. Um yeah, exactly. and so do you uh, do you coach around true failure or technical failure? Um, so I tend to train around technical failure for um, yeah, the the people that I'm working with. Um, like how I tend to, I guess, like a bit of an insight of like because obviously, as I say, I work with quite a few beginners. So what we tend to do is actually do a, a, a couple of phases where we actually just work on technique first because understanding technique and like that and like what what that actually encompasses I think is so so important in terms of getting to the point of like understanding failure as well because like yeah for example if we're doing like a score or like or maybe like a bicep curl like if they think oh we're just going to take that to failure and then the last few reps are like this much range of motion loads of momentum kind of coming in um mm -hmm. like that's not going to be too conducive to their goal because they're just it's going to be a case that they're going to go, keep on going and going and going and like racking up quite a lot of fatigue for not actually stimulating too much of like the bicep that we're trying to work for example um so yes yeah, so i'd say getting to the position of like these are like the parameters of what a good rep is is i think something that's very important so like the first i say couple of training phases for beginners like that is usually the main emphasis and then yeah when we're then going into okay so now we're going to turn up the heat and like take that to those positions of um, like yeah training to to pay and those sorts of things it's like yeah it's then understanding those parameters of okay this is what a good rep is and when we're not performing that decent rep like that's usually when we're looking to stop the set like sometimes we might explore things like partial reps and things if people are stuck between weights and stuff but like generally speaking yeah i'd say looking at technical failure is where is where i'm i'm, I'm placing um yeah people could you explain a little bit more what we what we all mean by the difference between technical failure versus 
absolute failure and like how this stuff gets defined just so that way we can eliminate any confusion someone has. All of the questions are for you. All the questions are for me. Oh, I didn't realize that. There's me just all the time like, okay, Bailey, off you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so when we're talking about technical failure, it's like seeing like the quality of the reps to like break down when that's starting to happen that's when we're stopping the set and then absolute failure is the point where you die is <laughs> <No. laughs> the point where like yeah like it's like yeah absolute failure I think I think to be honest I find that quite hard to define because some people will keep on swinging keep on going and like yeah um yeah, so it, yeah it's kind of like whenever they decide the set's done <laughs> like it can tend to be um but I think there's a bit of nuance that's that's probably valuable. Like, and I think one of the best ways to describe what you know true failure feels like is if you were to do a drop set. So let's say you're doing weight with, say, 60 pounds of something, and you do a 10th rep, you physically cannot do an 11th, okay? So this kind of stuff doesn't work very well for, say, barbell bench pressing or barbell squatting. That, that, you're probably a little bit more likely to get yourself in trouble you do that. But let's say you're doing curls or, you know, a dumbbell row, something like that. You're not in too vulnerable position. But if you immediately let go of that weight and grab a lighter weight, we can keep going. So did we actually hit true failure on the previous rep? And that's sort of the argument, right? Now, that's when we get into more complicated stuff like we're accumulating what's what's the fatigue ratio we're getting uh, as we're getting more training stimulus and there's arguments about that so those sort of tactics we want to sprinkle in a little bit uh, and i think with technical failure like i alluded to for certain exercises i think especially like bigger compounds where there's maybe greater risk of injury if you falter at some point during it i think going to technical failure is probably a really good standard and I think there's other things, maybe dumbbell isolations, cable work, what have you. We can probably really take it to the edge of what you're physically capable of doing, as long as the form doesn't break down too much. So that's kind of my line. Usually the type of exercise dictates which sort of failure we're getting closer to. Yeah. 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 I that. yeah that's cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't have any more questions unless you wanted to offer up some more knowledge yeah. on that topic. Um, oh, no, I think I'm, I think I'm all right. Unless, yeah, yeah. I think unless Andrew has some other questions. Here's what I always find kind of interesting because we we don't take we sort of take for granted that a lot of what we're exposed to in fitness still tends to be you know, the people who are in our part of the world, right? And so the UK, obviously, and, and Western Europe, you know, fitness is a big deal. I always find that the Australians almost seem like they're always a little bit more cutting edge, or at least with the aesthetic stuff. They're kind of funny like that. And then North America, we tend to be a little bit North America centric in terms of who we're following and learning from. Although there are great people, smart people all over the world. Do you notice any differences maybe in the attitudes or the community, the media and fitness in the UK versus, you know, anything you're exposed to in North America, trends, priorities, the things that people value? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I do think there's, there's some differences in terms of like what we're exposed to. I, like, so I think in America from what, 
from the the kind of the insight that I kind of see, I I do see there's a, a bit more pseudoscience over in America. No offense, <laughs> um, but like definitely like, and I've seen this as well because I've I work for actually clients in Australia, America, and UK. So I actually work with people all over, and the especially the American clients that I've worked with, and I say like I think the content that I see American creators put out is a lot more kind of is looking at things like keto carnivore looking to optimize things and lots of really like nuancey stuff where it's kind of like battling towards that which is a lot of like embedded in like the pseudoscience of that um whereas I, I think in the UK that's definitely there it's definitely there but it's not necessarily quite as strong um but where where it like I do see stuff that is probably relevant to me but which isn't as relevant maybe for American things is things like the things that have a stronghold in the UK are things like slimming clubs. So I think you have Weight Watchers. Um, so we have Slimming World. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for mentioning them on the podcast. Oh, that's fine. Not. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, they but they they do seem to have like quite a stronghold on a, a large part of the population. Whether it's the case of they have them at the moment or people have gone through that, and it's like it's definitely skewed a lot of people's kind of relationship with exercise because they're told exercise is bad because it makes you gain weight. And it's like it's told like that the scale is everything. It's like there's there's a lot of that. Um, like in the UK, I, I'd say like a lot of people that have grown up, I've grown up with parents on that, or they've gone on that. And I've like from people I've coached, there's always some that has crossed paths with it. Whereas in America or Australia, they've never really heard of it. So I think there's a few things like there's different things that people I guess have been exposed to like growing up and and getting to that I think does shape a lot of things but I think still it has very similar messages of like what is the evidence and there's definitely like parts like wires cross massively and I think what's relevant in the states is usually quite relevant in the UK and, and vice versa maybe a few technical terms that are a bit different but um I think a lot of people struggle with the same thing um because we've got a different environments we've got we've got similar environments sorry um and I think, yeah, it, it definitely has a, a root similarity. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely say that. It's it's too small a sample size to say it's representative of, you know, what people are paying attention to. But I noticed a lot of really smart evidence-based nutrition people come out of the UK. Uh, Danny Lennon is in Ireland, which is, quote, not yeah. guys, yeah. But uh, Martin McDonald, who's great, Mac you. And I'm trying yeah, to think. That's what I Andy Morgan is British, although Andy's actually based in Japan and does a lot of work there. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see quite as many prominent, you know, research-based strength coaches. But again, I think they're there. I just don't think they'd necessarily cross the pond in terms of like big exposure to our audience over here, right? Uh, and obviously, a lot of what we see in Canada is reflective of what's going on in the U.S. Your Dr. Mike Isertels and you know, so many other people, of course. Yeah. Made his way over the pond. I think a lot of the American people have made their way over to the UK. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think the other reason I think this, I suspect there's almost more on average an evidence-based interest in nutrition and training is because those same evidence-based people are often brought to fitness conferences in Western Europe. So, ben, well, actually Ben Carpenter obviously is British, but so he leaves brought over a lot. Uh, Mike Isertel, your Alan Aragons, your uh, Lane Norton, these types. I know there's a lot of interest in their media. So I know there's a lot of good people either way. But when I start to think about it, I, I do definitely get the impression that the, the community, the fitness community over there, probably on average, is a little bit more attuned to the evidence-based stuff than necessarily everybody in fitness is in North America. But we're pretty good. 
You know, we we take for granted that we live in this tiny little corner uh, versus like a lot of the the fitness stuff and the stuff that gets in the mainstream media doesn't necessarily follow the people that we look up to and learn from. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a difference between like I, I always when I first got into posting social media and um, something I actually did was ask my friends if I could scroll through their phone um, because all of my fitness content are people like you, Andrew, and like I say, Dr. Mike Isretels, like Lane Norton, Ben Carpenter. It's like those are the people that fill up my space. And I I, I, I definitely fall into trap going, oh, everyone is in this position. This is what they're exposed to. But yeah, if you scroll through your best pals, like phone or like so many people, and it's, it is the influencers still doing like the 20 minute ab workouts. It's still people saying carbs are going to make you fat and you need to be scared of bread. Maybe not as aggressive as that. Some people are, but like, and I, yeah, I think I definitely, I forget that and I don't see that. And you get in the loop of remembering, like forgetting where people's like knowledge base is. But um, yeah, definitely I've seen that. <laughs> I think that's really relevant. And I think, you know, for the coaches listening, especially, Remember that we take for granted. I think my favorite example of this is how all of us coaches, we find the liver king is on steroids. Like, duh. Like, why is anyone shocked at that? But yet it shows just we're a little out of touch sometimes with the general population because the general population, they believe wrestling was real. But no, those guys weren't using steroids. I mean, you two are probably too young to kind of remember maybe when that all flipped. But there was, I grew up, we, we thought wrestling was real. Okay. And I also grew up watching baseball and well, you know, oh, the steroid scandal. But before that, I mean, no one was really, you know, insiders knew, but the rest of us, we didn't even think about that stuff. So the general population doesn't necessarily have anywhere close to what we know about these sort of things and, and what's actually evidence-based. So I, I think it's a good thing to stay conscientious of so that way we don't get to uh, elitist or condescending when we when we start to look at these things, well, oh, Jesus, that's that's obvious. Well, I don't honestly think it really is that obvious for most people, as much as looking at the liver king really does look like it should be. So I, I find he's a good metaphor for this. Rachel, you've been wonderful. We appreciate your sense of humor and your knowledge. So tell our followers where they can find you to enjoy your fun, fun and educational media. Um, so yeah, you can find me on Instagram or TikTok and it's at Henley Fitness. So hopefully that's nice and easy for you. <laughs> that's wonderful. All right, guys. Thank you again for tuning in. Bailey and I just got back from uh, Raise the Bar, a conference that I was speaking at in Dallas, Texas. So we apologize for, I think we missed a week, but, and we may, depending on how the schedule works, we're probably going to miss one more because of my travel. And then uh, we'll be back on regular track again. So guys, thank you so much.